Over there. We'll head him off. The following film podcast frequently contains adult content, including foul language and descriptions of adult situations. Spoilers for the films discussed occur often. Listener discretion is advised. Now take it away, Dr. Rausch. (laughs) They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, episode 176. And I am your host, Lee, the beast of the Baskervilles, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. Pervades Europe like a plague, yet no one has heard of him. Harper, how are you doing, sir? Uh, I didn't think I was going to be compared to smallpox today, but uh, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. Or am I more syphilis? I'm probably closer to syphilis. (laughs) Maybe it's the Black Plague. Uh, we are starting our little foray into Sherlock Holmes adaptations this time out. So uh, we've got a couple that uh, Daniel have picked, and I think I'm just going to let you program the entire series. Sure, I've got plenty of uh, titles to pick from. It's not as if we are um, under a, a lack of Sherlock Holmes pictures. So. Yeah, we were really scrambling for them. It's like, yeah. oh, fuck. Where are we going to find like enough to fill an entire like month of shows? You know, hardly anybody talks or does any kind of Sherlock adaptations ever. So. We could like li- literally just do a whole side podcast just on Sherlock Holmes adaptations. Oh, yeah. Just yeah, the ones no, in this series that we're doing. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> I mean, not only do they did they do 14 of these movies, but mm-hmm. I they they ran like 300 episodes of a radio show. Mm-hmm. And we could literally just do that forever. <laughs> If you hadn't guessed, we're going to be starting with the uh, probably the the series that really brought Sherlock Holmes into like modern attention. Like there was plenty of adaptations before this on stage, screen. Uh, I think there's even radio shows before this too that uh, adapted it. But this is the uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes films that started with Fox Studios for the first two, and then went on to Universal for the uh, following twelve. And we're going to be looking at the Hound of the Baskervilles and. The Pearl of Death. But before we get into that, I'll briefly mention that uh, I recently appeared on a episode of uh, Movie Melt, which is one of my favorite podcasts. And we did the uh, Canadian sort of lost horror film Psycho Pike, which is a kind of a great and terrible film at the same time. <laughs> its its history is actually more interesting than, uh, than the film in a lot of ways. But uh, I'll link that one uh, down the bottom. Had a lot of fun on that. It's, it's a good listen. Movie melt sounds like a like a grilled cheese in the form of a movie podcast. That's the you know. Yeah, they had a better name for their show before, but they changed it because it was too hard to find. Basically, it used to be the Campaneros movie podcast, but you know, every oh. time if you if you fucking look for that, 
you're going to find Franco Nero. Like that's what you're going <laughs> right. to, that's what you're going to find. Right. But no, yeah, they, uh, they have their whole network. They have movie melt, which is their main show. Then they have songs on trial, which is just a bunch of them listening to really sh- shitty music and saying whether it's guilty or not. And they also have uh, a softcore podcast, uh, Get Soft with Dr. Snuggles, which uh, looks at softcore, like, Skinamax films and all kinds of other stuff like that. So it's kind of like the Rialto Report, except you can't show penis. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll link that down in the uh, show notes uh, for anyone interested. We're going to move on now. We, Even though we've been gone for two weeks, we don't really have anything to mention that we've watched lately. Nothing I really want to sit and talk N- about. Nothing anyway. really worth talking about. You know, just, just random stuff on television or whatever. But you mm. know. I mean, I did see the Dark Crystal series, which was it was good. My wife was watching a bit of that. Um, yeah, what I saw looked, looked, uh, looked really nice. Uh, it's it's amazing the sort, of, the sort of fidelity that they have to the old movie, where it's right. like... We're not going to make it look anywhere noticeably better than the movie. We're gonna we're gonna keep it all looking pretty much exactly the same, like production values and everything. Even though there's a little bit of CGI here and there, but it's like right. it's not invasive at all. So, yeah, I just love that. Like, if you look at the original film, and you know this is a prequel, this is genocide the series effectively. That, that's, yeah. that's what we're watching. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a kids show. It's about genocide. It's great. Uh, I will say those. Uh, it, it does even get darker than than the fucking movie it definitely does so yeah um but uh yeah so we'll just get on to our comments here we got a few first off daru makalis comes back and says hi guys been away from commenting for ages as i've been doing some renovation work on our flat but still been listening through your back catalog on the horror series you did in mid to late 2018 highlights for movies i'd never watched that i will definitely go watch are venus and furs lorelei's grasp Ganjin Hess and Captain Kronos. And he says, uh, seems totally criminal to me the way that Ganjin Hess was seemingly buried. Really going to check that one out. Cheers, guys. Well, thank you. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, agreed. And those are four great films. So, yeah, check it out. Yeah, I hope you enjoy them. Cameron Sullivan comes in and he gives us a uh, movie recommendation. Um, he says, here's another gripping pre 310 to Yuma type Western. And it's Along the Great Divide from 1951. And it's a Kirk Douglas film. Always down for another 310 to Yuma type film. And, mm. uh, you know, Kirk Douglas. I, I don't know that I've seen a lot of Kirk Douglas, honestly. Didn't he have a famous son or something? Yeah, um, I don't think he went anywhere. Um, uh, okay. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, no, I've, I think most of the Kirk Douglas stuff I've seen is like, it's like Spartacus, and then he did like a couple, like, oh, old man Kirk Douglas films. Right. Before, before he had a stroke and shit, right? Right, right, yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny how many of these, these like kind of old school classic actors, you're like, oh, yeah, I know, I've seen plenty of stuff that guy's in. And then you go and look at it, it's like, yeah, well, uh, I've seen Spartacus. And, um, oh, yeah, that, that thing he did, that piece of shit he did in 2002 or whatever, you know. You know, <laughs> it, you know. I, I know he's been in some film noir and stuff like that. And of course, Westerns. So uh, definitely some stuff that's sort of in our wheelhouse to check out. Then speaking of recommendations, we have Jeff Williams coming in with a recommendation of the week. They might be giants from 1971 quirky comedy. And this is a Sherlock Holmes uh, adaptation. Uh, Quirky comedy set in New York, starring George C. Scott as a judge who has gone insane and believes himself to be Sherlock Holmes. Joanne Woodward plays the doctor to whom his care has been entrusted and just happens to be named Watson. 
Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we add that one to the list, depending on how long you want to do Sherlock Holmes films. But uh, you know that that sounds uh, that sounds delightful. Either add it to the list, or we'll just like agree to watch it and talk about it briefly. Uh, you know, d- depending on what you sort of had in mind for sure. the series. But uh, yeah, uh, excellent. Thank you, uh, Jeff. And uh, finally, YouTube comment. We managed to get one within the two weeks we were gone, so that, that's great. Uh, and this is on our coffee Foxy Brown episode from someone called <laughs> LG. <sighs> and you got to listen to this. You got to listen to this comment carefully to get how funny this is. Okay, I'm I'm listening. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, what is this? Do you like have the actual movie? Movie, not movies. <laughs> I, I mean, we make this, I mean, we this happens to us a lot, you know, mm-hmm. so I keep saying the same thing, but it is like, you could have really, you should have realized very quickly that no, this was not either of the two movies that were in the, you know, and in fact, it was a podcast talking about it. And instead of just clicking away and then finding the movie elsewhere, you chose to leave a comment, and so we make fun of you. And so that's 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 the circle of life. This is you're creating content for us after we created content for you. I forgot to check, but I think that's like one of our string of podcasts lately, where it's maybe gone an hour or so at the most. Not even enough for like one of the movies. Right, <laughs> so. right, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, you know, this person wasted our time. Or we wasted their time. They wasted our time. You know, it's ultimately it's a it's a circle of the internet. It's how you got, you got to think though. Like most most people go to YouTube looking for movies. Right. At some point in their lives. They've they've run into like people like taking movies and shortening them and putting like some sort of uh, filter over them so the YouTube thing won't get it and or they've sped it up so much that it you have to like slow it down and even then it sounds like shit when you play it on YouTube. So even if <laughs> both of these movies were there, there's no way we could like like speed it up enough that it would play within like the hour and ten minutes. <laughs> it's like what, what the fuck, dude? It's just. I don't, I don't know about these people. It's like just, just buy the movie, or you know, Jesus Christ, just Amazon Prime. You, you get all yeah. the shit on Amazon Prime. For I'm free, pretty sure basically. they were both available on Amazon Prime. Yeah. So, you know, but that requires giving a little bit of money. I mean, you know, to like the biggest corporation on the planet. I mean, or one of the biggest. So, I mean, not to, not to, not to say give them your money, but you know, you did have that option rather than give us a stupid message. But anyway, I think we've spent more time than this guy deserves. So, yeah, we should move on. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're gonna take a quick break here. Uh, we're gonna play some sort of music, sourcing like the music for these films that are this old. And even if I could find it, I don't particularly like it all that much. It's that very sort of just bland orchestral shit yeah. that you find in productions around this period. But I, I, I did look up some like inspired by Sherlock Holmes, and mostly got playlists of like modern songs that show up on BBC Sherlock, which is just, that's not appropriate, but, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but, but something we'll play podcast promos and we'll be right back with the Hound of the Baskervilles. Mm, Great coffee. Mm. Hey, 
Chad, who's that strange, somber man on the cover of that book you're reading? Oh, that's H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, I've heard of him, but I never really got into his stuff. It's kind of strange and hard to read. No, I used to think that, too. But that all changed when I started listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. What's that? The H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast is a weekly podcast. Tell me more. These two really smart and hilarious guys give a synopsis of the story, then they talk about its background, the critical views, and what it says about the author. Well, where can I listen? Let me tell you, Chris, you can go to hppodcraft.com or, heck, just subscribe through iTunes. It's that easy. Oh, Chad, I'm so excited. Now I can listen to this podcast and pretend to all my snooty friends that I actually read and understand H.P. Lovecraft. Hey, that's what I do. HPPodcraft.com You ungodly warlock. The Hound of the Baskervilles from 1939. In the classic tradition of mystery and suspense, Playhouse Video presents Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Hound of the Baskervilles. Mr. Holmes, you're the one man in all England who can help me. Well, won't you sit down? Thank you. I'm in mortal fear Sir Henry's life will be stuffed out. Why, what makes you think that? I have information which leads me to believe that for centuries past, every Baskerville who's inherited the estates has met with a violent and sudden death. And certain death 
is just around the corner. Now, will you please tell me what this is all about? Dr. Mortimer bringing me here to see you. This letter. It's about you, Sir Henry. Your inheritance, Baskerville Hall. And Dr. Mortimer thinks that it might not be safe for you to go down there. Safe? On account of a hound. A wild, supernatural monster that has cursed you Baskervilles for the last two or three hundred years. And it's up to Sherlock Holmes to solve the mystery. About 50 yards from where Sir Charles fell dead were footprints. A man's or a woman's? Mr. Holmes, they were the footprints of a gigantic hound. Murder, my dear Watson. Refined, cold-blooded murder. The only way is to catch him red-handed, to catch him in such a way that there's no escape. No alibi. That means gambling with Sir Henry's life. But you can't... Gambling to save his life. It's Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes and Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson, together in their first mystery ever, The Hound of the Baskervilles. Directed by Sidney Lanfield, who was a jazz musician and a vaudeville entertainer who was sort of just brought up through the ranks in uh, Fox Studios, uh, directing mostly comedies, uh, mostly Bob Hope films, apparently. And this was like one of his few like non-comedy jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Written by Ernest Pascal, who uh, also wrote uh, The Spider Woman later on and Sherlock Holmes Faces Death, Sherlock Holmes in Washington as well. And, uh, of course, credit to uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. Then we have uh, Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes. Nigel Bruce as Dr. John Watson. Richard Green as Sir Henry Baskerville, who was actually top billed in this first movie. Because uh, Rathbone and Bruce were sort of, uh, they weren't big names. Richard Green was actually up and coming in the studio at the time. So uh, they, hmm. they marketed after him. Wendy Berry as Beryl Stapleton. Lionel Atwill as Dr. James Mortimer. John Carradine as uh, Berryman, the butler. Orton Lowry as John Stapleton, Ely Malian as Mrs. Berryman, Barlow Borland as Franklin, Beryl Mercer as Mrs. Jennifer Mortimer, and Ralph Forbes as Sir Hugo Baskerville. And uh, I got a little synopsis from IMDb here from Jay Sperlin. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson investigate the legend of a supernatural hound, a beast that may be stalking a young heir on the fog-shrouded moorland that makes up his estates. Which is about as good as any, I think, for, for this yeah. kind of... I mean, if you don't know this story, I <laughs> I don't know. Like, have you, have you ever read anything, bro? Like, that's... <laughs> right. It's, it's kind of, I've so actually it's... never read The Hound of the Baskervilles. So this, no? was, this was... this was I, And this was the first time I saw the film. So it was kind of my uh, my introduction to it. I mean, you know, obviously, you're kind of aware of the, the basic story mm-hmm. um, just from absorbing it through pop culture and, and such. But, you know, it was, it was kind of my first time really... Kind of getting a proper take on this on this narrative, so uh, interesting. Know. In fact, a lot of the reason I wanted to do this series, I mean, I recommended this series. A lot of the reason was to like give me the excuse to just watch some Sherlock Holmes stuff because so it's been something I've been kind of interested in doing for a while. I like kind of had this uh, project in mind to sit and read all the uh, Sherlock Holmes stories in um, the order in which they were written, and uh, I got through the first two novels and then. Uh, didn't it wasn't that I wasn't enjoying it, I just never went back to it. So, you know, it's kind of one there's, of those things. So. There's a lot to dig through too. Yeah, right? no, there is. I mean, it's obviously it's one of the it's it's kind of the thing that invented fandom in a lot of ways. You know, like the the, mm-hmm. the, the idea of there being like this kind of character and this kind of like group of people kind of following this this interest in a lot of ways. Sherlock Holmes is kind of the er example of that. And so, you know, obviously, you know, <laughs> we're not gonna say anything original on this podcast. But, no, uh, but you know, it'll be fun anyway. 
but yeah, yeah, you're right. Because like Doyle was so he wanted to write other stuff, but people kept demanding Sherlock Holmes, so he killed him off for a while and then brought him back eventually. But yeah, so yeah, I mean, since this is basically your your first real foray into this uh, story, Daniel, uh, what did you think of this movie in general? I I mean I I liked it. I didn't it didn't grab me in the way that um when we get to the second one I think that the second one is a much better film in, in some various ways. I think it's kind of flat in the way it's shot and edited. Um it feels kind of this very proscenium style staging. Um it feels kind of like old fashioned and in, in, in kind of a like low budget bad way, you know, that's not necessarily something that, you know. And that's you know that's just the cinema. That's just kind of the, the way it is. Overall, I I did um I really like Rathbone. Obviously, he's, mm-hmm. he's amazing. I love the, the 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 repartee between him and Watson. Um, and I like the narrative of this. I think that it's interesting in that it's not really well. I mean, this is this is kind of the thing that's interesting about kind of the the novels. Certainly, the Sherlock Holmes novels, as opposed to the the short stories, is that the novels are they're kind of set up to be almost more anthology a story. Yeah. Where yeah. the idea is that like Sherlock Holmes kind of comes in and he's kind of got a case, but really he kind of recedes into the background. The first novel, A Study in Scarlet, basically Sherlock Holmes shows up, he does some deduction, whatever, and then the bulk of the book is a Western. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you spend the entire book you know, kind of in, in the American West, and then you come back and it's and then I ended up being the guy who killed the, the person or whatever. And then, you know, like so it's really just sort of a, a device that get, that gave Doyle the ability to write different kinds of stories. And that's kind of what we get here is where we're getting this kind of multiple narrative thing where you get these kind of red herrings and you get these kind of side characters kind of doing these kind of side plots, but Sherlock Holmes is certainly not kind of a central figure in this. No. Um, um, and in fact, Watson is arguably more kind of the lead character in this. Yeah. That's, this is one of the, this is one of those uh, Doyle stories where th- there's definitely like, as he went on and as the po- character became more popular, he becomes much more central focus. But, I mean, all the stories are basically written accounts by Watson of Sherlock's cases, right? And in this story, Watson is sent as basically a ruse for Sherlock Holmes to actually do his detective work unimpeded, right? Right. And and so... I mean, Sherlock kind of solves it behind the scenes while Watson is kind of traipsing around with this rich asshole guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and... Although I will say this film, it does its damnedest to give Holmes as much screen time as, as possible, even though it's the, the original story. Like, actually, that's kind of the biggest change from the original story, where Sherlock Holmes is basically just bookending it. Right. Here, it's like, we got to get him on screen for at least the first 30 minutes before we get into, like, maybe 15 to 20 minutes of Watson just bumbling around. And then we come back with Sherlock Holmes. You know, they, they try to really make sure they get uh, Rathbone in there, you know, but right. And it is a nice little reveal uh, when, when you, when he's in costume, I mean, it was, that was mm-hmm. a moment I wasn't expecting. It's like, you know, Oh no, I'm Sherlock Holmes. And then, well, I must be Dr. Watson. Then, and then you're like, Oh, is this going to be, <laughs> and then he pulls off the, the makeup and that's always, it's a, it's a fun little moment where, you know, I mean, you don't see I mean, a lot of the more modern adaptations. You don't really see him kind of doing the, like putting on disguises kind of thing, which is, yeah. uh, you know, which uh, is actually a big uh, element, a, of a big element of the, of the class, uh, particularly of this, of this film. But, uh, of the um, the second the other one we're going to do tonight as well, but um, mm-hmm. 
and of kind of the uh, the Holmes canon. I mean, you see a lot more of him kind of like doing things and going undercover and, you know, putting on like stage makeup and that sort of thing, which um, I can only imagine would have been like kind of a fun thing to see on the stage in these kind of adaptations as well. Yeah. Like seeing a live performance where, you know, you can kind of see them kind of take off stage, stage makeup and then have other stage makeup underneath it is kind of, I don't know, one of those, like, that's probably like a fun thing, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess my, I guess my thing is like this one just, it didn't, um, it didn't leave a great impression on me. There's not like kind of like great moments that kind of come come across. It was uh, kind of interesting at the end when like the guy runs off and it's like, ah, oh, the cops will get him. It's fine. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. That's, that's, not, that's, that's definitely another change from the stories. Oh, they'll get him. It's like, no, he, and as far as I remember in the story, he, he goes out in the he dies. Dies. he dies in the, like it's apparently in the, in the story, it's like you're surrounded by like, there's like quicksand and, and, all this kind of stuff. and everything. Yeah. 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 But yeah, no, the, the basic idea of sort of like finding this like old legend and then like trying to relive the legend. And one of the things that like Holmes is just in terms of like what he is as a character and what he represents is this sort of burgeoning like forensic science that was kind of coming about in the late 19th century. And so Sherlock Holmes kind of represents that to the reader. I mean, he is just kind of put personified this sort of idea that we can actually use things like fingerprints and, you know, deductive reasoning in order to actually like solve things in the real world. Yeah. And the idea of p- applying that to something that is this sort of, you know, supernatural phenomenon, this, this kind of ghostly apparition or whatever. I think that I think that I mean, again, in 2019, we've just kind of seen that done to death, and it's just kind of harder to maintain the dis- like. Like, it's easy to see what the what the um, the finale is going to be. You know, it's like, oh, it's just somebody kind of you know making that thing real. And so, and so it does lose a lot of tension from from that, at least for for the modern viewer. But um, I think it's executed pretty well. Yeah, no, they do a good job, and this. this is actually a pretty well budgeted uh, Fox picture here. They put some money be- behind it. I, I don't have like an official budget, although I did find box office for this. If it can be trusted, uh, box office was one point two million in that era. So whatever that translates these days. Oh, that's but, a that. I mean, one point two million and. In those dollars are in those yeah. pounds. Wow, that's I mean that's massive. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's a there, massive hit. Uh, there, there was like the the publicity department uh, for this movie actually uh, publicized that they spent ninety three thousand dollars alone on uh, fog machines in their production budget, <laughs> which is. And I can believe it. Like, and, and that's actually my biggest disappointment in this because the original story plays up the supernatural, like to suppose supernatural elements a bit more. Like mm-hmm. the hound is spectral and glowing and stuff. They don't really do that in here. It's just a dog. But it's it's originally supposed to be like painted with phosphorus, so it glows in the night and shit like that. Right. And yeah. So uh, it's like it's Universal Pictures. You're shooting this and. One of their backlogs. No, Universal. Universal was uh, the third through fourteenth films. This is some. This is. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, this is this is twentieth century Fox. So you yeah, know. Uh, I, I was I was thinking, but it's set up and shot like a Universal. Right, right. It, uh, it, it does right. have that kind of classic Universal uh, look to it, but it's like, it and, doesn't. It doesn't have that charm. It doesn't have that like. It doesn't. I don't know. There's just some some ineffable something missing for me that didn't make it feel very, you know, kind of, kind of atmospheric and, and kind of, you know, in the way that those, those kind of universal horror uh, films are. Yeah. They just don't really push into the horror elements here enough Mm -hmm. as, as as far as I'm concerned, like it would have made a lot better if they, 
they did that, but they they just keep it. They focus a little too much on like the the romance between Baskerville and and the and the young lady who's also like a spiritual, <coughs> or no, it's the wife of Mortimer, isn't it? Who's a right, right spiritual medium. So they have those elements, but they don't really tie them together all that well. So then really the only things that really stand out are the performances. And, and it also, it's a bit too long. Like it honestly, it's yeah. a bit too long for what this even, is. Like, even at 80 minutes, it feels, mm-hmm. it feels like it drags just a little bit, you know? Um, um, I did like the, uh, the killer, the, uh, the, the sort of, uh, the, the crazy, like escaped convict guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked those, like the big eyes and that, and that kind of like, um, you know, Gurning performance it actually sort of like that feels a lot more kind of like what the story should be to me than than some of the more kind of flat affectation stuff yeah. that, that we see in the rest of the film yeah even in the original uh the original text he's basically a red herring character because he's just right. you know he's the bro- he's the escaped lunatic brother of one of the of the of the host maid or whatever you know I felt bad about picking this one I mean I just was like oh this is the first one we should definitely do it but uh, you know, it ultimately, just don't have a whole lot to say about it. Yeah. I found in researching this, there's a 1937 German version that's compared to uh, Doctor Mabuse, and oh, I'm really? kind of like, well, maybe we should have done that one. <laughs> yeah. I also say like comedic Watson a little bit grates on me, and, and I know that's like one of the big criticisms right. of Nigel Bruce's Watson in this series is that he's too bumbling because he's he's not that at all in the actual uh, stories. But I think people forget that Watson was almost a dead character in a lot of adaptations before this. Like, he just wasn't important at all. And Well, when you're writing a story, he's the viewpoint character, and so you kind of get mm-hmm. inside his head. But ultimately, he's just a camera that, like, is observing the story, and he's not. And he's supposed to be kind of flat and affectless, which is why in the film versions and the TV versions, you've got to give him something else to do, mm-hmm. or else he's literally just hanging around the, like, bright guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, yeah. You know, or you, like, shoot it through his eyes or do something like that or whatever. Yeah, but, you know, uh, you know, bumbling Watson actually works. Like the comedy is actually funny and they play off each other really well. Uh, another thing I'll say is this is also kind of a big change from the books is, uh, and, and this is just like a credit to uh, uh, Rathbone as an actor. He earnestly like generates a, a sort of a more human warmth in the Holmes character than actually in the text at all. Right. Because in the text, he's very much like a, for the most part, a calculating, cold, analytical machine more than anything else. But <laughs> I mean, that bit with the uh, with the cane, you know, like tell me what you can find from this cane. No, you were completely wrong the entire time. Uh, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. man, you're you asked. You're, that, that's just a dick move, you know. Yeah, what yeah. I mean? <laughs> you know, oh, tell me what you could find out, you dummy, about this cane. You know, like, oh, well, I noticed this, this, and this. Oh, you're completely wrong. But you know, what? dude, come on. You know, it yeah. wasn't like you know. This is you're not. Even, <laughs> this is just you being a dick. It's not even like this is relevant to anything at all. You know, you're just yeah. And, and and there's a lot of that in the original text, but right. uh, but Rathbone definitely makes him a, a likable guy because if you met. The actual Sherlock Holmes, if he was a real person in real life, the way he's written, you would not like him. No, <laughs> no. He's, he's not a guy you want to fucking talk to. And the in the later adaptations really play with that and, and lean into that sometimes a little bit too much, arguably. Mm-hmm. But I uh, will kind of get into that as we as we kind of talk about kind of the later stuff. I mean, certainly the the BBC Sherlock series is like, I mean, he's just written as complete douchebag asshole you know <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. To, to the point where you have uh cute mortuary assistants fawning over him and he just like flat out basically tells him fuck off it's like right. i have no i have no sexual interest in you go away 
Like it's just just inhuman monster, basically. <laughs> right. Not that being asexual is in and of itself a thing that makes you a monster, but no, like he's but... just he's just. I mean, he really does just kind of run across this like, yeah, I'm just going to be a sociopath, and you know, like uh, intentionally a sociopath. You know, it's, 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 <laughs> they push way too hard in that direction. Um, but but yeah, so. So apparently this film was censored originally when it, when it came out, uh, just for the drug reference at the very end. Oh, uh, interesting. The, the, uh, the, that last line, he's, he, as him and Watson leave the room, the needle Watson, they censored that. And it wasn't put back into the film until 1975 when a, a restored print was released. Oh, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, that, that, that does, uh, that does make sense. Yeah. It's so, the seventies. Uh, we can admit that drugs exist now. <laughs> yeah, we can. We can admit that drugs exist, and that he actually wrote uh, Holmes as a guy who was addicted to cocaine. Yeah. And <laughs> well, and apparently this was just from the reading. This was the first film adaptation known that was actually set in the time of the original story. Yeah, like typically at this time, the idea was you just kind of set it whenever, like you set it in the then present day. And after the first two, once they moved, once they moved to Universal, the rest of them are set in what then was current day in the late thirties, early forties. Becomes um, a Nazi smasher. <laughs> yeah, it becomes a Nazi smasher, which you know was always a fun thing. But uh, no, it was it was it's 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 interesting that the kind of the the dynamic that that creates as well is that you know you're kind of looking back. This is. People in 1939 looking back to like 1889 or 1891 or whatever, there is a sort of, I don't know, it's not even really a criticism of the class system, but it is sort of in this era in which Britain is very soon going to be going to lose its empire. They're going to be kind of off the world stage. You know, you're kind of like right in the beginning, right in the kind of the midst of World War II era. And looking back to this, you know, kind of the the golden age of, of Britain, um, and there is a little bit of a, you know, <laughs> there's not even really an implicit criticism of the of the class system in this. I don't think, at least, I didn't really get oh. anything from it. You 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 are kind of continually reminded that Sherlock Holmes is constantly hobnobbing with rich people and has the interest of rich people at heart. Um, you know, and that's that's just kind of one of those like Sherlock Holmes is, is relentlessly a middle class character, which is uh, you know kind of yeah interesting. He's, he's... It's interesting the way he's written that he's a middle class guy who's always solving these cases for like uh, aristocracy and uh, you know politicians and all that stuff and just rich people in general. Although at the same time, his character, even though he is basically just assisting the the, the upper class for the most part, he, he does have a, a ground level connection to the lower class. Like he's got the uh, the Baker Street uh, regulars or whatever. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, he he, do, he never puts himself above people in that respect. Like he never like looks down on people. He kind of treats everybody as below him to a certain <laughs> level when it's, when it's intellectually. You know, just because he is. The I'm, I'm the, the smart. I'm the smartest man in the room always, and therefore you're all beneath me. And you know there there is something. I don't know. There is something slightly, you know, like kind of cutting across class that way. But uh, you know, not not really in a way that we can um, really embrace. I think. No, so, I don't you know, think so. No, but uh, IQ supremacy uh, also not not great. But you know, but he's 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 definitely not written as like an imperialist monster, though. That's a, right. Yeah. Although so. he does, he does, he does work for rich people in both of these films, which is you know kind of always a you know it's just mm. interesting. It just just something that we're just going to run into again and again. So we should switch over now to the Pearl of Death. <laughs> Come on. 
catch you. Take your cover, don't you? You can't hold me. You're in love with cruelty for its own sake, and the world will be much better off without you. And so it will give me the greatest pleasure to... From yes. 1944, or Lock Up Your China, as I'd like to call it. <laughs> Based on the Six Napoleons, uh, which <laughs> I think is, I mean, you know, a, a great, a great, probably a better title, I think. Although, I mean, I do I do like the Pearl of Death, but I keep wanting to call it like Curse of the Pearl or something mm-hmm. like that, you know. Curse um, of the Black Pearl, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I keep wanting to, I keep getting confused with that. But uh, the Six Napoleons is a less evocative title but also a more uh, kind of obscurantist title. I kind of, you know, I, I get why they didn't use it for the film, but uh, mm. once you get into the plot, you're like, oh, The Six Napoleons, that is an actually, like, legitimately great title. Yeah, yeah, and I'll, I'll say it now, actually, um, even though I do have some little uh, misgivings of this, I do like this way better than the actual story. So uh, Yeah, I haven't read the story, so... But we'll get into it. Uh, directed by Roy William Neal, who did Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. And then he did a shit ton of these Sherlock Holmes adaptations. <laughs> nice. And, and man, they cranked these out too. Cause the deal, they did that they 14 had, of them in five years, mm, six years, something like that. Yeah. They had to make like three a year or something like that was yeah. the deal. And I think two of the three had to be based on the original stories. And then one, mm-hmm. could, something like that. I, I, I read it a little while ago, but you know, uh, written by Bertram Milhauser and Arthur Conan Doyle, of course, of course, we've got Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce again. Evelyn Ankers, who was the sort of reigning queen of B-movies at that period. Uh, she was in uh, The Wolfman, and she was in a shit ton, just a fucking shit ton of Universal B-movies at this point. Well, well she, she's great, and so we're definitely going to have to uh, like add some of her films to the, to the extended list there, for sure. Mm, as uh, Naomi Drake, uh, Dennis Huey as or Hoey maybe as Inspector Lestrade. <laughs> it, it's it's funny. Like I look up all these actors and stuff, and it's like died of a heart attack, 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 or you know like right. some sort of kidney problem or liver problem. It's like man, these people lived hard, and they all died in like their fifties or sixties at the most. I think we've talked about that before. Just just oh, like yeah. how how all these actors they were like thirty and they looked like they were fifty. <laughs> right. <laughs> Miles Mander as uh, Giles Conover, Ian Wolfe as Amos Hodder, Charles Francis as Digby, Holmes Herbert as James Goodram. Uh, that's a poor name. James Goodram. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Nugent as Bates, Mary Gordon as Miss Hudson, and Rondo Hatton as the Creeper. I, I love that you picked this film. That we we got to get a little bit of Rondo Hatton in here. That's that's yeah. good stuff. I can tell you how I can tell you how he picked it here in a minute, but uh, all right. So, quick synopsis here from someone called uh, Kenneth Chisholm from IMDb: When a pearl with a sinister reputation for causing misfortune to its owners is stolen from a museum by a master criminal because of Sherlock Holmes' showboating, he is naturally obliged to find it. Soon, he learns of a series of brutal murders that seem to have been committed by a malevolent man mountain known as only the Creeper. Now Holmes must deal with the seemingly overwhelming menace of this man and his boss in order to retrieve the pearl. And yeah, that's a perfect synopsis, I think. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. Although, you know, like <laughs> Holmes is showboating, 
and then uh, murders just start happening. It's completely no, no, no. Holmes, you fucked up here. Like mm-hmm. well, these people, th- their deaths were were ultimately on your hands. You you you, you did this, and uh, the film the film really doesn't doesn't give him enough. Uh, enough shit for that. That's, that's, one of, that's one of my qualms with this. Is like, yeah. that, that would not happen in the text. Holmes would not fuck up, but hey, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, actually, just before you even start talking about what you think of the movie, uh, get into the Rondo Hatton thing. Yeah, no, I I didn't uh, pick it because of Rondo Hatton. I had um, picked it because I had watched or I had rewatched the each uh, bomber guy video about Sherlock because he, he did a kind of extended discussion on the, uh, the Moffat TV series. And, you know, it was kind of one of those like uh, videos I kind of get back to. It's like an hour and 45 minute, like discussion of these things and about kind of the Sherlock Holmes mythos. And I mean, I never really finished. I watched the first two seasons of the Moffat Sherlock and kind of never went back to it. Because oh, yeah, I'm like, I, yeah, no, I was kind of, I got enough out of this. I'm, I'm done. I'm done with the, with the whole Sherlock thing. And I, and I kind of realized I got out, I should have stopped at episode one and I would have liked the whole series better. Than yeah. <laughs> you know, the first episode, not bad. Uh, then it, then it immediately drops off from quality from there. Yeah, no, I, I rewatched that. And, uh, even I, there are a lot of people who kind of criticize, you know, a lot of the things in that video, but I really like the video and it made me want to kind of go back and do this. And, uh, the Pearl of Death is uh, Harris's H Bomber guy's like favorite of these, mm-hmm. and so I had um, and he put some clips in, and there was like the the, the big shot of um, pardon me Rondo Hatton, you know, kind of like with his arms out, like going up to to strangle the guy. Uh, that shot is in the is in his video, and I was like, well, this looks like something I should definitely uh, check out. And uh, yeah, no, I really like this. This is a, a contender for best of the year for me. Um, oh. I you know aside from aside from the. Uh, you know, aside from just not uh, criticizing Holmes for being a complete douchebag in that, in that <laughs> moment, although it does, it is kind of a neat little moment. I mean, it is you you know you can rip it from the from the text and just kind of go, yeah, like no, no, this is this is Holmes uh, being a dick, and uh, you know people died because of it, and nobody really cares because like there was a little people, but you know it's just kind of the reality of it. Aside from that, I really enjoyed this like start to finish, and it, it really has all the. Um, all the deep pleasures that I would want from this kind of film. I think one of the things that I like about it is, I mean, it is a uh, universal and it is shot very much like a film noir and it's structured mm-hmm. much more like a film noir. In a lot of ways, this um, is kind of a, it's kind of the Maltese Falcon just, you know, with, with a, with a more streamlined plot and with a little bit more of a less of kind of a tough guy at the center and more of a, you know, kind of somebody with a, you know, kind of, kind of using the deductive reasoning stuff. And, uh, you know, on that level, it's, it's, it, it's really, really enjoyable. It's really effective. It's 70 minutes long. I mean, one of the things was, I was like, well, we should do this one. This was the one I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was 70 minutes long. I'm like, well, we could do two films. Like when yeah. they're that short, there's no reason we can't do two. And, uh, yeah, no, this, this really, I mean, you know, after watching how the Baskervilles, which, so the first two are set in, uh, Victorian, Victorian England. But then for the rest of the series, they're set in, uh, again, present day, then current day. And I really like Holmes in World War II England. I I don't know. For, for whatever reason, it just it really worked for me just aesthetically. I really liked the, uh, the kind of the overcoat he wears. I liked the, the way he kind of mm-hmm. carries himself. I really liked that kind of that era. And, I, and partly it's just my kind of love of the film noir stuff. Um, I love the way it's shot. It was just kind of this like pure like like little piece of cinematic joy. I mean, it's not like a, a great deep film. I mean, it is kind of reaching for this kind of metaphor about the nature of greed and that sort of thing, which, you know, it does have. I mean, 
but it's it's kind of a small, simple story. It's got Sherlock Holmes at the center. It's got kind of a, a cute little mystery. It's got some great performances. Um, again, again, I really loved Evelyn Anchors in this. I love that she gets to put on a bunch of accents and she kind of gets to go undercover in a bunch of different places. And we kind of see her in the background of other shots and kind of like it. There's the question of is Holmes noticing this as we're noticing it in the audience? And like, oh, Holmes is just brilliant enough to just kind of notice it. Whereas yeah. we kind of have the, so we get to kind of go along with Sherlock Holmes and kind of see him figure it out as we're figuring it out. And I, I just, I don't know. It just, it, 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 it's a, it just really worked for me almost on a, on a, on a gut instinctual level. I just, I really, really enjoyed and uh, enjoyed this one. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I like it more in the original story, which is, it's, it's a fine story, but sort of throwing these sort of film noir elements into it. The fact that you throw basically uh, this Giles Conover character in, who's basically a low rent Moriarty, like he, he's kind of right. a stand in Moriarty. He's somewhat capable of going against Holmes because he also employs like disguises and uh, sort of trickery and stuff. He, he doesn't have the analytical mind, but he's cunning enough that he can, you know, like right. kind of stand up to Holmes. Rondo Hatton in here, uh, it, <laughs> it, it, it just works with Universal where you have this yep. minor Universal monster here or late period in their cycle of monsters. And, and he'd go on to do this two more times as a creeper-like character, basically, and right. two other films. That were released after he died because he uh, he died from the uh, acromegaly mm-hmm, yeah. that uh, infected them in his later life. So age fifty one or something, he died right. from that. But uh, he's but great he- in this. I mean, he, he he it's 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 interesting how they spend so much time with him, just kind of in the shadows, and you kind of see like a silhouette. And then when you finally do see him, and I mean, you know, there is the you know using the acromegaly for that. Uh, I mean, that's that's kind of a we wouldn't want this done today, obviously. No, Universal you know? really exploited um, his condition. Universal Universal exploited it, but he's he's amazing in the in the you know, I mean he you really do get it. and it's not just I mean, there's a physicality to the performance as well as, you know, just kind of the, the, the look that he has and it and it oh, really it I, all works together. He's that, great. Yeah, that shot near the end where uh he and Conover are getting into the house there to try to find the pearl and so Conover's walking ahead of him, and he's he's behind him, and he's just in silhouette, and he's so fucking big, like it's, oh, it's just yeah. it's so fucking well shot. It it just looks so good. This is a lower budget production than the um, than the two Fox productions uh, because they they really streamlined this stuff into like serialized format, right. which I actually really like. I, I said before, I appreciate like the the brevity of this, where they just like they hit all the beats. They don't. Give you all this. There's not an ounce of fat on this. There's not an ounce of fat on this. I mean, there's there's a scene with a with a newspaper clipping that you could probably cut. There's you know maybe ninety seconds there, but other than that, (laughs) you know, it's amazing to me when I was looking this up. This is the ninth of the fourteen films already, and it's like it's only been like four years. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, they they crank these out. I mean, but that's what they that's what they could do in the old studio system, right? Particularly in this in this you know kind of low budget stuff. I mean, the whole point was, you know, we're just we're gonna gonna and again. Rathbone and Bruce are doing radio plays at like the exact same time. They're literally just like doing these characters over and over again. And I mean, there's a real, the beauty of it is there's a real lived in quality to it at that point. Right. There's a real, like these guys just know how to know how to play this. And so they have a really easy chemistry together. You know, Rathbone is less of an overt dick. I mean, he's still, I mean, Holmes is just kind of a dick just by definition. Um, but uh, you you do kind of get the warmth between the characters. It doesn't quite go as far as like queer baiting in the way that some of the later yeah. films do. 
I really, I really loved their that that relationship between them, and even um, Lestrade. I mean, he's he's kind of a he's kind of a buffoon, which is kind of one of those things that you sort of see more and more. Is that you know, it's not just that Holmes is brilliant; it's that everybody has to be like super dumb around him. I really love the moment when uh, Holmes says like, "Oh, you should you should give him uh, you know, you should allow him to get his meals from outside, and that way he'll send a message." And yes. Lestrade finds the fake message that Conover <laughs> sends. <laughs> And then misses the actual message, which was in the in the bowl of soup, and it's like that, that's a that's clever writing, like that's a clever little moment in the in the film, you know, where you know. I like, no. that, Lestrade, I like that Lestrade is like a bigger buffoon than Watson, and they both hate each other. Like you oh, can yeah. tell they hate each other. Oh, yeah. it, it, they don't really have any moments where they exchange dialogue where they're like. I fucking hate you necessarily, but they give each other looks during the during the film. Where it's like, right. fuck this guy. Like, what do you think he fucking is? And and uh, I do I do really get charmed by uh, Nigel Bruce as Watson. Like, continuously tries to. Well, what would Holmes do? Deductive reasoning, and he tries to figure out where his fucking uh, his his fucking paper clipping went uh, <laughs> of the case. Right, but he stuck to his fucking arm. Oh shit! Which yeah. is a neat. I mean, it is a neat little bit of physical comedy, you know, and in in, just on the performance level, it, it, it and it, and it does. I mean, this is you know, for nineteen. I don't want to say for like nineteen forty four or whatever, you know, but there is there is kind of a a darkness at the heart of this. I mean, there is kind of murder happening, and it is yep. you know kind of murder of random people. Sherlock Holmes fucked himself up because he was showing off and being like, "All you have to do is cut these three electric wires, and suddenly all your security systems are pointless." And then, uh, you know, there is a, you know, a better version of this. I want to see this remade with a, uh, like a stray dog kind of, uh, you know, like, like tone where it's like, I caused this, all these deaths are on me, you know, and that would, that would be a kind of an interesting angle. But again, the film just completely like, you know, well, Hey, they, they're the ones with the shitty security system and I just broke it, but you know, it's not my fault. That people are dying yeah, now. Uh, you know? Like, again, this is serialized. This is Holmes as the pulp hero. Right. kind of thing so you know yeah he's a bit of a dick but in the end you'll forgive him because he'll he'll catch the bad guys or whatever you know no this this works really well again i'm not so fucking high on having homes in like world war ii era mm. doesn't really work for me uh but uh that's just because i'm a i'm probably a bit of a, a bit of a purist of a, a purist asshole yeah. when, when it comes to this shit, but no, um, I just I like I think I just like the noirish element, the, the noirish feel of it. You know, I'd, I'd actually like to see a modern adaptation of Holmes set in World War II. I'd love to see you know some something something on that on that regard. You know, in in the original stories, they don't necessarily give a canonical like age for Holmes. Like his career kind of starts in the eighteen eighties. Mm-hmm. You could theoretically have him. <laughs> like the world war ii era as like a 90 year old sherlock holmes you know right right i I would be really into like i I think uh alan moore of uh, league of extraordinary gentlemen kind of does that Um, there's a um there's a short novel by michael shaban who uh called the final solution where um it's holmes where it's I don't think he's called Holmes. I think he's just called the detective or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's like he, it's about um, him coming to the uh, grips with the, the kind of the enormity of the Holocaust. And then it, it's sort of like this very elderly Holmes who's, you know, like 110 years old or something like that in the sixties. I, I read it many, many years ago, so oh. I can't remember the exact detail, but it's the out. idea is that he's just he's very, like wizened Holmes. And it's like filled with, you know, tons of like old references to, to kind of like the, the, the kind of the classic stories. 
And it's more of a kind of a meditation on like what it means to like solve crimes and kind of the enormity of like the real crimes of humanity and that sort of thing, you know. Did you ever see that uh, movie? It was it was just a couple of years ago. It was Ian McKellen Mm-mm. as an old Holmes uh, suffering from dementia and like just doing his beekeeping and stuff like that. <laughs> Apparently, we need to do a whole bunch of. We could do like six <laughs> months of Holmes movies. We'll get sick of it, and you know, like no, that no, I haven't seen that. That sounds really interesting. I definitely. It was really it. good. I really liked it. Yeah, um, no, no yeah. I was gonna. I was gonna go a little bit more uh mainstream with these but you know we could we could kind of go wherever or we could just come back and do these you know kind of more yeah. often i don't know what you want to do but it'll just become one of our series <laughs> just, you know do more sherlock holmes i mean you know again we could do this forever but no i really enjoy this one um i really like the creeper i really like again um evelyn anchors naomi drake i love the accents she does in this you know yeah. i love the yeah i love the sort of yeah, the subterfuge. I love the way that the story goes. I love the uh, the the breaking of the China. You know, and, the, yeah, and, and at like, first it's kind of like, oh, it's just a fight, right? It's just like you know, and then like, yeah, he broke the China, and then like nothing else in the in the room. Like, yeah, the silverware is disturbed, but all the yeah, China is broken. You know, moron. Oh, he knocked the China off the table. Yeah, and everything else is just perfect on the table. You you fucking dunce. Like, and and at first you think like, oh, there's something in the China. Like he's breaking the China. But no, he's breaking the china to mask the fact that he's breaking these statues, and so you know, and that's that's it's kind of like a double subterfuge. It's a double, it's a double, uh, you know, it's it's good mystery writing because like the immediate solution that you as the viewer come to is actually reasonable but wrong, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And I love that kind of mystery writing. Yeah, like Naomi's Naomi's breaking stuff to hide shit. Like she she breaks the plate with the message on it. She breaks a a fucking vase or whatever in that shop that she's yep. working at to, you know, get away from Holmes or whatever to try to. And fucking Holmes knocks over like a fucking bowl of fruit or some shit to get his. <laughs> he literally knocks over a bowl of fruit. Oh, whoops. Oh, I whoops. guess I got to chase this orange underneath this uh, and cut these wires. And just to prove to you that your security system is useless. I do like, he has a line that's something like, you know, the, uh, you know, trusting in electricity, you know, a man who trusts in electricity for security is, uh, you know, there, there's there's some line where where it's like a fool's oh, errand sort of thing, you know. Which he says, uh, he says, uh, oh, electricity, uh, the high priest of false security or something like something, that. Something, yeah, right, yeah, something to that effect, which you know feel, feels very uh, 2019 in the sense of you know like using like like facial recognition technology or whatever. Again, I can <laughs> I can imagine sort of an updated version of this with with a uh, with a with you know that this sort of about the kind of failures of, of technology to, I mean, you know, and it feels uh, fairly prophetic for, for 1944. I mean, although that's, you know, it's not exactly a, a big prediction that like security oh. systems would, would, would fail, but um, it does, it does feel like it's, it's, uh, you know, a little bit ahead of its time for 1944. That, that's always fun too. Yeah. I think we're both in agreement that the Pearl of Death is better than the Baskervilles. Oh yeah. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, and not even based on sort of the the uh, you know the original story. I mean, you know, it's just that I think that Hound of the Baskervilles has just kind of been done over and over again, and I think that it's just you know it, it is legitimately a classic, but it's just it's not as well made and it's not as it's not as compelling in the in the same way. Whereas I think the Pearl just you know again, it's trimmed down to within an inch of its life. There's no fat on it, and it just it just moves through a narrative. And the fact that Holmes is much more kind of like front and center. Is ultimately, I mean, it feels like a really good episode of television. I mean, it feels like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, kind of, you know, like what, 
you would want like a Sherlock series to be. If you had like a 60 minute Sherlock series, that's basically what this is. You can imagine this being, you know, and, and like police procedurals, like police procedural TV, like borrows from this formula. And there's a reason for that. It works. It's just, yep. it, you know, and it's, and it goes down painlessly. And I think this is uh, one of the better ones we're going to, I think, I think this is just really good. So any thoughts on what we're doing next time? Well, I mean, if you want to do two more of these, I would, I'd be down for it. Otherwise we can kind of move into, uh, into other stuff. I mean, it just kind of depends on again how long you wanna you wanna talk about Sherlock Holmes. But um, I'm 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 good to go for the rest of the month at the very least. Um, four, I, I had four weeks planned, but I enjoyed Curse of the Pearl so much. I was or Pearl of Death. I can't Curse of the Pearl. <laughs> I enjoyed the Pearl of Death so much. I was kind of like, yeah, we could we could pick two more of these and and see see how they we are. Could, so uh, they match up, you know. Well, a lot of these are short. Yeah. We could even just like take like a feature length film and, and throw one of these in as well. Sure. Oh yeah. Okay. So why don't I'll pick another one of these, or you can pick one, whatever one looks interesting to you. If you want to do the other of the uh, the Fox ones, we can do that. Or if you want to do one of the uh, one of the other Universal ones, we can just pick one. Uh, but the uh, the other um, film I wanted to cover the next one is uh, the Private Life Life of Sherlock Holmes, which is the uh, Billy Wilder. Oh, yeah. um, one which uh, delves into uh, like Holmes's drug addiction and is uh, considered one of the one of the great kind of more modern adaptations. And I think that was from 1970. So I think we I think we should do that one next week. Cool, sounds good. All right. Uh, so Daniel, tell people where we can find you on the internet. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. I'm trying to spend less time on Twitter, but I'm failing at that. But I am. <laughs> I you can't find me there. Um, I do a podcast about terrible people. Uh, Nazis and such. Uh, called I don't speak German, and uh, you probably already know about that if you listen to this podcast at all. But you can find that at I don't speak German. Um, it's uh, pretty good. Yeah, uh, much like uh, Sherlock Holmes in the Universal films, he's smashing Nazis. So <laughs> I, am, I am smashing Nazis. Yeah, we've been we've been talking about terrorists lately, which is uh, just it's great, great fun. It's a uh, well, yeah. yeah. Nazis and terrorists, same thing. Yeah, I love I love I love people like messaging me and being like, I've been really enjoying it. Well, not enjoying. But, like you know, I'm getting a lot out of this podcast, but uh, not so much enjoying. I'm like, I don't know, I understand, I get it. I get it. <laughs> uh, and you can also find us at tmbdos.podbean.com, where you can find our Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Facebook links. Join the Facebook group. Best way to get in touch with us: find out what's going on on the podcast, and you know, make your suggestions for films you want us to see. Tell us how crap or great we are. Either way, it's fine. Um, apparently, now on Apple Podcasts, like. Uh, uh, reviews and ratings don't matter anymore. So, so don't uh, review us anymore. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's like you know, don't use their shitty fucking interface and review us anymore. Just, just, just listen to us and you know, spread the word. Fucking, if if you got a Twitter account, Facebook account, whatever, and you like this podcast, say, yeah. hey, this here's, is a great podcast. Listen to this shit. Here's what you should do: tell one person in your real life. You know what's really fun. Well, you know what I like to listen to, you know, during my week, they must be destroyed on site. It's yeah. two assholes who talk about movies and they do it mostly every week. And it's a fun listen. Tell people in your real life because people like a real life recommendation, like people listen to that stuff. Yeah. But, you know, online, yeah, people, yeah, yeah, share it on your Facebook. That's great, too. We always appreciate that. But, you know, tell somebody about it. Like, hey, I really like this show. Or don't, tell people about a better show that isn't this show. <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't be like one of these like soccer momish bots on Twitter that's like any podcast recommendations. It's like, <laughs> God damn, I see all I see those all the time.
It's like you can't be a real person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking hey. for a good podcast to listen to. Does anyone listen to any podcasts? You know, like yeah, we're in like, like peak podcast uh, era. So you know, like everybody, you know, it it is the joke. You know, every thirty uh, something guy has a podcast. That's just the like, yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah until then uh thank you guys for listening thank you daniel for joining me and uh we'll be back for some more uh sleuthing and uh deer stalker hats even though that's not really canon until it appeared in these films and uh you know and pipes, pipes. yeah although pipes. Uh, although sherlock holmes in the stories preferred like a corn cob pipe instead of yeah. one of the fancy ones so and he, and he, he smoked a lot of cigars as well so <laughs> well you know that's how it goes yeah basil rathbone you fucking hack you liar lying. <laughs> uh, all right guys we'll see you later goodbye bye
You have been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For other episodes, our links to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and our Facebook group, as well as links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.